This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Jack Foster and Ryan Schumpert. All right, everybody. Hello and welcome in to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Special Edition Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Foster, alongside Ryan Shepard, coming at you on a Wednesday morning here in the studio. And Ryan, Tennessee just wrapped up their regular season home schedule last night, and they went out with a banger, a 9-5 to midweek win over Belmont that was full of rain delays and time changes and delays, everything you could possibly want in a midweek game on a late Tuesday Knoxville night, right? Yeah, I mean, I everything you dread that could possibly happen in a midweek game is the more, I think, appropriate phrasing than everything you could want. But, yes, it was, uh, it, it was a bang to go out on, just uh, especially since we this year with the run rule and some of, uh, some of the pitch clock changes and stuff like that, you know, the midweek games hadn't been as long uh, as they have in the past, but these last few weeks have been some true classic midweek games, long ones, and, and last night was, was truly the cherry on the top of the, the home slate. Absolutely. And you know, midweek baseball, I'm I know it it sucks, right? Like midweek baseball is just not a typically not an enjoyable thing, right? It's for media anyway. But I always obnoxiously try to be the optimistic about optimist about midweeks. I'm like, midweeks are great. I'm always posting on my Instagram stories. Love midweeks, love midweeks. Well, last night kind of broke me, I have yeah. to admit. After it was a monsoon in Knoxville. And they had delayed it a couple of times, and I'm like, okay, this game is going to get canceled. But then they end up starting back at 8 Eastern going into the third inning. And I'm just like, man, why? And that broke me, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, the why was Zach Joyce could pitch. Zach Joyce made <laughs> his go. return uh, and allowed one run, I believe, in one and two-thirds innings pitch, uh, or maybe one and a third, but was pretty solid. Um, but, no, you're right. It was – you know, the game was originally at 6.30, but then it was moved to 5 start time to try to avoid the weather, which, you know, didn't end up really happening. The game got pushed back, uh, I guess, to 5.50. Yeah. Um, but when the game start, you know, you arrive at Lindsey Nelson Stadium for a 5 o'clock game. And when it's 8 o'clock or, you know, around the time the game would be ending if we had started it at 5, yeah. and they're just starting the game back at the third inning, top of the third inning, it was, yeah, that was a pretty depressing realization. Uh, and certainly made for a long night in uh, an eight-inning game with no run rule, uh, as <laughs> yeah. Belmont had to get on the road uh, after it was a hard and fast, no new innings. Uh, after 10 o'clock, it was like I was back umpiring eight-year-old, nine-year-old baseball at Civitan Ballpark in Brentwood. Uh, Tony Vitello was yelling at his team to run in the dugout so they could play another inning after they, they got uh, the final out of the top half of the eighth inning uh, so they could hit. But, yeah, you don't see that much. No. The uh, home team was winning and the final they were winning going into the final half inning and they hit in the and, final half inning something you would just ne- and you'll you never knew see the ninth in a couldn't game. be played yes but i wasn't sure if they were actually going to hold true to that or not true fair. but the umpires uh the umpires once that final out of the eighth inning called I, they weren't looking at either coach to talk to them they immediately walked off the field and said this is over of course that was tennessee baseball's home season home slate finale whatever you want to call it. regular season home schedule finale um tennessee finishes 33 and 5 at home they were 38 and 5 last year at home so now they're 71 and 10 in lindsey nelson stadium over the course of the last two seasons and you can make that Six seventy and eight without in regular season. Well, no, 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 sixty-seven and eight 
if you exclude last year's regionals and super regionals. So, long story short, Tennessee's very good at home. Yeah, what what would the numbers be here if we just look SEC play? What this year they played fifteen games, they went thirteen and two at home. Is is that correct? My, my math. No, no they lost twelve three and three. Times. They lost twice yeah. to Florida, once to Kentucky. Twelve and three. Last year's home slate. They dropped a game to Alabama. They dropped a game to Auburn. They dropped a game to Georgia. Yeah. And then they swept South Carolina and who else would it have been at home? Missouri, I guess. Missouri, South Carolina, is that it? Yeah. So then they lost three games. That would be last year, too. So, so they 12 and 3. 24 and 6 last two years. That's easy stuff, stuff that matters. Yeah. yeah. Right, Especially right. given how much, you know, midweek games and then that first month of the season, you know, a couple weekends against weaker opponents. So, but that. I mean, twenty-four and six at home over a two-year stretch in SEC play is is pretty wild. That is wild. Yep. T- Tennessee baseball is just elite in Lindsey Nelson Stadium, but Ryan can't say the same on the road. But Tennessee didn't have to worry about playing on the road this past weekend as they beat Kentucky two out of three in the final home SEC series of the season. They win game one, ten to six. Game two, ten to seven, and then Kentucky throttles Tennessee in game three 10 to zero is shutout this one also had a rain delay a two-hour rain delay after no rain delays in Knoxville all season we get them back to back to close out the home slate I mean that's just wild it was just like you had you were getting lucky and lucky and lucky and then all your luck ran out and it was just bad um two three and a half hours in total rain delays over the last two games in Lindsey Nelson yeah and it's especially Especially wild when you consider it's really just lightning delays. Like, yep. I guess at some point they would have had to stop yesterday, even without lightning, because it was such a monsoon there for 20 or 30 minutes. But the fact that they were able to play a game after that monsoon, the field was in good enough shape, is is pretty wild, and it shows why they've had such so few uh, weather delays or uh, games canceled, I guess, this season, really. The past five seasons now I guess since they added it in 2019 Vitello's second year but yeah it's it's pretty crazy and certainly a a frustrating way to end in the home slate let's get into this Tennessee Kentucky series game one Friday great pitching performance from Andrew Lindsay arguably his best start of the season his only win of the season as he went six and two thirds picked up the win as I said gave up six hits three runs two earned uh, only walked a pair struck out four and he went 103 pitches, and that's the most important thing to look at with his stat line, maybe other than the win, I guess. But 103 pitches, Andrew Lindsay being stretched out here before the postseason, that's something you want to see if you're Tennessee because you're going to need him to put together starts like this if you're going to make a Hoover run, if you're just going to be confident in general going into the postseason. Yeah, certainly. And uh, he was really, really solid, and you know he's been solid. And I think that's probably the best thing you can say about Lindsay is like the bad starts have just haven't been very bad. Yeah. not he doesn't th- lose control of the game. Yeah, and there hasn't been a huge gap between you know his best and his worst, which is you know can be a good thing, can be a bad thing. I think it's more a good thing than it is a bad thing. Um, but certainly, I don't think he's you know had just some incredibly dominant starts either. But uh, you're right. I thought it was it was one of his best uh, and. He was just consistently in the strike zone, doing the things that make him effective, and I think that was, you know, probably made easier by that seven-run third inning Tennessee scored in there. Not right off the bat, but you know, once he kind of got about to the middle of his outing, uh, he had a six-run lead to work with, and and that makes it all the easier to throw it in the strike zone and let your defense work behind you, which is what he's best at, and, and certainly what Tennessee wants to do with its pitching philosophy. Yeah, Tennessee jumped all over Kentucky starter Travis Smith on a Friday night. Christian Moore. 
got the Vols on the board first in the bottom of the second with a solo home run to lead off the inning. But then in the third, as Ryan mentioned, Tennessee got seven runs. Hunter Inslee, two-run homer. Jared Dickey, solo homer. That was back-to-back. And then Griffin Merritt had a three-run bomb later in the inning before Cal Stark had an RBI double. So seven runs from Tennessee in the third inning. And this is a recurring theme we see from Tennessee's offense. Sometimes it feels like that if they're going to score a lot in a game, it's it maybe is just going to come from one huge inning like this. Yeah, it does seem like it's been kind of a continuous theme. And, you know, a lot of times it's been with two outs when they've gotten on these runs. Right. Uh, and this one, it was really just right from the jump at the inning. I mean, they scored all their runs except for the last one with nobody out. And then the last one with one out. And it was, you know, it. Smith wasn't great in the first two innings, but... You didn't see anything that caused you to think it, the wheels were about to fall off, and boy, the wheels fall fell off. I mean, he didn't he didn't record an out, uh, and in the third inning, boy, by the time he got pulled, and Tennessee had really opened up the game. And uh, you're right, it was which was kind of ironic because the next day they scored ten runs with really they had one big home run. We'll get to it, but it was mostly uh, kind of situational baseball, a lot of clutch hitting in this yep. uh, in this game. It was it wasn't a home runs, and certainly that was the case in the third inning, three home runs. Uh, like you, you walked through all of them, and Tennessee really kind of outslugged Kentucky, which I think was maybe not the formula for Tennessee. I'm sure Tennessee didn't come into the series like, oh, which just hit a bunch of home runs. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the contrast in the style of play, is Tennessee certainly had the capability uh, to kind of use the home run ball, use the long ball uh, to beat Kentucky, and certainly that's hitting home runs is not a strength of Kentucky's team. I think they came into the series uh, last in the SEC in home runs this season. Yeah, home runs accounted for every single Tennessee run but one, and it was that Cal Stark RBI double. As I mentioned, the four home runs with Merritt, Dickey, Inslee, and Moore. Well, in the sixth inning, that was when Tennessee scored their last two final runs of the game, and that was a Griffin Merritt two-run homer. So, yeah, it was just long balls for Tennessee all night long, and it worked. Um, Kentucky did score three runs there in the top of the ninth, Maybe made it a tad interesting. I mean, it was six to ten, but with no one on base. True. Yeah, I was never. I don't know. I I didn't think it was ever going to get, you know, too hairy. But certainly Tennessee's pitching wasn't good in the ninth. Xander Seacrest came on, allowed two base runners, then a sack fly. Kirby Canal comes on, gives up a home run. He's out of the game after that, and then Hollis Fanning settles it there with two strikeouts to end the game. So. Kentucky had a three-run ninth, made the score a little bit closer than what the game felt like, but this was a dominant win from Tennessee. It was, and one that you you really wanted to see from them to open the weekend, and certainly it was a huge series, and uh, they really left little doubt. You're right, you would have liked to see uh, the ninth inning be a little bit cleaner and yeah. keep Kentucky from scoring three runs, but like you said, I don't think anyone ever thought Kentucky was truly going to get back in that game or anything like that. So, uh, solid stuff, and you know, I think really what Maybe stood out the most, maybe not the most, but one thing that stood out and has continued on with another appearance in the weekend and then in the midweek is that Hollis Fanning just kind of yes. continually getting a bigger role and continually looking really, really good in it. Yeah, we can go ahead and mention him because I don't believe he pitched for the rest of the series against Kentucky. Oh, he, he did, did yeah. pitch a third on Sunday. Um, wasn't that great, but gave up a couple of hits in that third of an inning, got a strikeout, but only threw seven pitches. But, yeah, Hollis Fanning, man, overall, he's been really, really solid. And I didn't see this coming, to be honest. You know, I didn't think that Hollis Fanning would be in a position late in the season to where he could be a reliable guy to go to out of the bullpen in an SEC game or in Hoover. And he's showing it. I mean, he got those two strikeouts at the end of the ninth inning. And then last night against Belmont, I know it's Belmont and I know it's a midweek opponent, but 
what he did was really, really impressive. Struck out seven of 11 batters, had retired eight straight, I believe. Yep. And struck out seven straight. Yep, struck out seven straight. So all seven of his Ks came in a row. And he pitched three innings, 36 strikes and 49 total pitches, only allowed two base runners. Dude was on. He was. I mean, uh, no doubt the best appearance of his career. And, again, you can scoff at or not take completely seriously the fact that it was against Belmont, but, you know, most of his appearances have come against mm-hmm. opponents of, of Belmont's quality. And, you know, he over-doubled his career high in strikeouts. It was a uh, career-long by an inning. So he was really good. And, again, it's just like slowly and slowly he's getting a little bit bigger role. He didn't pitch in the first, what would it be, six, uh, seven yeah, first seven SEC series this year. He pitched once at Georgia. He pitched now tw- he pitched twice in that Kentucky series, and they weren't all super high leverage uh, opportunities. Obviously, he came in and got the final outs of a game. Tennessee was up by four on Friday. He came in and pitched uh, in a game when Tennessee was down by ten um, on Sunday. But he was good, and the fact that he's getting these opportunities at all, I think, is a development. And you know, I was talking to assistant coach Richard Jackson for a story. Uh, yesterday on the, on AJ Russell that should be coming out here in the next week or so, and it's he said, you get to regionals, guys are going to help you that you don't expect that mm. haven't been big factors during the regular season. If you're going to win a regional, that's going to happen, and you know that was in the context of AJ Russell, which is a guy that makes a lot of sense of. But I think Hollis Manning's another guy that could 100% help Tennessee at some point in the regional, get a couple big outs, and uh, be a guy that you know we certainly didn't see coming. 75% of the way through the season. We would have never projected that, but it kind of seems to be trending in that direction. I can't confidently say, maybe A.J. Russell's done it a couple of times, but I can't confidently say that a Tennessee pitcher has had a dominant three innings like this in a midweek. You know, you can scoff at it and say yeah. it's a midweek, but this was three innings, and this was just shoving for those three frames. So this was really impressive outing from Hollis Fanning as he continues to expand his role in the Tennessee bullpen. Moving, oh, well, I guess I should mention a couple of notes offensively from Tennessee I mentioned all the home runs but Jared Dickey went three for five at the plate we'll talk a little bit more about him in a second Griffin Merritt had five RBIs two home runs as I mentioned all five RBIs came from those two home runs so Griffin Merritt feels like you know he maybe wasn't the can like just uber consistent DH he was only going to start if it was a left or a yeah lefty on the mound now I feel like maybe he's especially with Jared Dickey sidelined Griffin Merritt is kind of a staple in this lineup maybe now that he has just been slugging at such a high rate, leads the team in home runs, all that good jazz. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting because, you know, Tony Vitello has put a lot on, we want to, about the outfield, we want to play our best defensive lineup. Mm-hmm. And with Jared Dickey sideline currently, and he said it, again, I'm sure we'll talk in full detail about it. Uh, he said last night that, you know, he thinks he'll be back hitting before he'll be back in the field. So it feels like, you know, maybe a pinch hit at bat or whatever first, but uh, first time he's starting back, it seems like it's going to be a designated hitter. Hmm. Who does Tennessee put out in left field? Do they, you know, both neither Merritt or Dylan Dryling or Kavars Tears, for that matter, are fantastic defensively. Who do they trust the most? And is it going to be strictly, you know, who they feel best about defensively? In that Sunday game, Dryling was the left fielder and Merritt was the designated hitter. I certainly think Merritt is hitting the ball the best of anybody in that group right now. But exactly how that all shakes out to me is going to be something that's uh, interesting to watch and, and, you know, something I don't really have a whole lot of an idea about or, yeah. or a, g- a good feel for, I <laughs> well, guess would I guess, be the right way to phrase that. I guess what really sparks my thought is that on Saturday, a lefty started for Kentucky and Griffin Merritt got the DH start when Tears and Dryling were perfectly fine to do so. So, yeah, feels like Merritt's role has increased a little bit since he's just been hitting so well and power hitting so well. 
with that. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And, you know, I think there's – he had two home runs the day before. You know what I mean? It's, true, it's true. tough to take a dude out of the lineup. Well, two he home walked off Vanderbilt and then didn't start the next day. <laughs> that's true. So <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, that's true. So you're right. It hasn't been, you know, direct – all right, you had success, you're going to start the next day. No, no direct correlation, but – you're right. It does seem to be trending that way, and he does seem to be getting kind of better and better as we go down the home stretch of the season. And it's not to say that Dylan Dryling or Kavaris Tears haven't, uh, but it, you know they haven't been. He there's been a little bit of separation there. It feels like in the last couple of weeks. Tennessee saved their bull, big bullpen arms um, for Saturday and Sunday as it was a collective effort on Friday, backed by Andrew Lindsay. Solid start, as I mentioned. Tennessee dominated, so they didn't have to bring out a Chase Burns or Seth Halverson or Camden Sewell. Well, on Saturday, a little bit of a different story, much different game, as Ryan said a little bit earlier in the podcast. Second inning is where Tennessee got out in front, and it was all singles. Um, RBI single from Griffin Merritt, followed by an RBI single from Zane Denton. You had a two-run single from Malihuna later in the inning. They played it four in the bottom of the second, all from singles. And then they take a big lead in the bottom of the fourth, thanks to Jared Dickey's Grand Slam, the second Grand Slam from Jared Dickey of the season was a big one as they led Kentucky 8-1 to one after the fourth inning. And after all these singles, as there were a couple more there in the fourth, Jared Dickey hits the Grand Salami and put this one out of reach at the time. We'll get to how the game yeah. progressed after that. But Jared Dickey, man, continues to hit at a high rate. And, of course, I guess I'll go ahead and mention it, gets hurt there in the bottom of the sixth inning, sliding home. Um, was it the bottom of the sixth? Bottom of the fifth, maybe. Here, let me verify here. Maybe bottom of the seventh? Bottom of the seventh, you are correct. Gets hurt in the bottom of the seventh, sliding home. He was ultimately out on the play. You know, hurt his shoulder, was writhing around in pain on the ground for like 30 seconds or so. Trainer Jeff Wood comes and checks on him. Gets up, walks off under his own power, plays defense in the eighth inning, but then gets pinch hit for in the bottom by Kavaris Tears. We don't see him again for the rest of the weekend. Didn't play last night. So Jared Dickey dealing with a right shoulder injury. And this is tough news for Tennessee. It is. I mean, he's been, just like you said, you know, he's been Tennessee's best bat really by a long shot in SEC play. He's been one of the best bats in the entire conference uh, when you look at just pure SEC production. So it's a major, major blow for Tennessee. However long he's out, you know, Tennessee avoided the worst with it. he had an MRI, no structural damage, uh, but it is very, very sore uh, yeah. currently, and they're not going to rush him back uh, at least before the NCAA tournament. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I-, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if he plays some this weekend. I doubt he's just going to be in there starting every single game and like nothing happened, uh, but it's kind of just a, a wait and see, and you got to do, do some treatment on it and hope to get that pain tolerance down because that really is the biggest thing about it so it's a tough blow um it's not a devastating blow because it doesn't sound like it's going to be anything super long term that keeps him out for the rest of the season but he was crazy crazy hot in the stretch that he had really for a month uh going into that game too when he got injured and, and certainly has been Tennessee's best and most consistent bat absolutely 15 game SEC streak hitting streak yep 14 made, games overall. Was made on Saturday, yeah. So. I believe eight of the last ten games, he has multiple hits. I mean, the numbers the numbers are crazy, and he just – the Tennessee Tech game, that was his off game, just about everybody yeah. else on the team. But, <laughs> right. I mean, besides the Tennessee Tech game, he hasn't had uh, a bad game at the plate in over a month, which is pretty remarkable given the, the nature of, of the sport of baseball. Yeah, in two games, he went five for nine at the plate with five RBIs, a couple of home runs. So, man. Dude's raking. Um, big loss for Tennessee, but 
know, for Tennessee's sake, it doesn't seem like it's going to be that long. Um, and he should be available in Hoover, I would imagine, based off of Tony Vitello's tone. Yeah, and he was, you know, he was dressed out both of the last two games. Playing so first base coach last night. Yeah, first base coach last night. Ricky Martinez was sick and went home uh, after the long weather delay. So I uh, think he was getting a little run at first base coach. It was giving me flashbacks to Omaha in 2021 when Ross Kivett got ejected from the game and they had <laughs> players rotating as the first base coach the rest of the That's game. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, that was funny. And uh, it was, I wrote something on Dickey and his success on Friday night after the game and, and talked to him about it. And you always, uh, you know, kind of going behind the mind of someone covering a team or a writer, if the reporter jinx, you write something about a player and how good he's mm. doing, only for him to then slow down. And Dickey was, you know, particularly that because he had all these hit streaks. Yeah. And he gets out the first two at bats of the Kentucky game, of uh, game two on Saturday after I wrote it. And I was like, oh gosh, I hope I didn't, I hope I didn't jinx this thing for him. And then his third at bat was two outs, bases loaded, Tennessee leading uh, 3-1, or 4-1, excuse me, uh, in the fourth inning, and he hits a grand slam on the first pitch he saw. So it's like, okay, I didn't jinx it. Jared Dickey's still really good. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Had the biggest hit of the night for Tennessee. Ultimately was the difference in the game, too, is they won 10-7. Uh, let's talk about Chase Dolander for a second. Really solid Chase Dolander start. Went five innings, 103 pitches. Like like I said about Andrew Lindsay, it's good for Tennessee to have these starters go over 100 at this point in the year. Gave up only five hits and three runs in those five innings. Struck out six. So Chase Dolander, just a solid start. Nothing crazy, but didn't let the game get out of hand by any any stretch of the imagination. Ran into a little trouble there in the sixth inning. Gave up a two-run double that was the end of his day, but a very solid outing from Chase Dolander. One, I thought he was better than the numbers, the final numbers yes. indicated, mainly just because he came out for that sixth inning and gave up what it would have been, two earned runs, uh, and he didn't get an yeah, out. Yeah, two uh, of his three. So yeah, and I mean, and then they were, he left the game before those runs scored, so it was runs, uh, I guess, Camden Sewell, yeah, Camden Sewell inherited, um, and then he was cramping there early in the sixth inning. Uh, so you wonder kind of how much that had to do with it, but uh, a couple, you know, hard contact at, off of him. But besides that, I mean, those first five innings, he was really good, and I thought it was one of his one of his best starts of the season. Yeah, when he exited the game, it would have been three to eight. So he, he <laughs> Tony Vitello always has put us in a position to win. Well, T- Chase Dolander certainly did that. Uh, but Camden Sewell struggled in. Uh, one and a third innings came in for relief, and Chase Dolander gave up an RBI double later in the inning, but ultimately his stat line was in just one and a third, gave up five hits, four earned runs. Um, just this is probably the worst we've seen Camden Sewell all year, and I don't think he, I don't think you have to worry about it too much, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, it just wasn't a solid relief outing from Camden Sewell, and he was getting hit pretty hard. Yeah, and thanks for correcting me there. Dolander did give up those two runs before he exited. I thought right, it was a two-run double, yeah, and then but and that was his last batter face. Yes, yeah. So, but you're right. Yeah, no, it was about as bad as Sewell's been this season. You know, I would imagine without looking at all his career appearances, about as bad as an appearance he's had in his whole career. But you're right. <laughs> I don't think he's. It's a guy or an outing that you worry about. You know, too too much. Um, it was uncharacteristic for him, but he's been so consistent for Tennessee that. I think you have a lot of confidence that he's going to shake it off and be good this week going to South Carolina. Well, with Camden Sewell's struggles came Kentucky mounting a little bit of a comeback. They played a three in the sixth, and then they went on to score three runs in the seventh, too. But pitching change was made in the seventh after the first of three runs in the frame. As Chase Burns comes in, and you think when Chase Burns is coming in, it's about to go down and it's about to get real, and Tennessee's about to put this away. Well, Chase Burns had a little bit of trouble getting settled in 
um, when he came in, wild pitch scored, um, wild pitch allowed a runner to get to third, which set up an RBI single. But then after that, Chase Burns settled in pretty nicely and uh, put the game away. Yeah, and a run did score on that wild pitch too. Oh, okay. Um, and I think more, you know, more than anything, obviously the wild pitch is Burns' fault. But more than anything, you look at that at bat. He comes in and the two runners, they're on second and third, you know, immediately scoring the first at bat. I think more than it being bad by Chase Burns, I thought it was just really impressive by Chase Felker, Kentucky's batter, who fouled off four straight pitches, uh, four straight two-strike pitches, I should say, uh, and then, you know, hit a single that just – just got through the left side and uh, maybe didn't even get through. It might have been an infield single that scored a run. Uh, but that was just honestly a really impressive at bat from him. After that, uh, I thought Burns looked really good. But to me, what was crucial, because after the Felker single, it was a one-run game. Tennessee was up at that point 8-7, to seven, and mm-hmm. Burns, probably his biggest weakness is how slow he is to the plate and how easy it is to steal bases on him. True. And – if he would have had to get final, the final six outs of that game with a one-run lead, I think that would have completely changed the dynamic because it's just a runner gets on, he's almost certainly going to be on second, he might be able to get to third, uh, and that's where it was huge what Zane Denton did in, in the bottom half of the seventh inning, driving in a, a pair of runs with a double and giving Tennessee a little bit of breathing room to huge let breathing. Chase Burns not worry about the runners on base, just focus on the batter, and when he does that, he's, he's pretty darn effective. Yeah, much needed two insurance runs there in the bottom of the frame to make it 10-7. to Zane Denton, you know, we could go ahead and talk about this a little bit. Blake Burke continued to not – he wasn't as bad as he was in the Georgia series, but Blake Burke hasn't been Blake Burke, right? And he just hasn't been in the last month or so. And he struggled a little bit again in the Kentucky series. Feels like Zane Denton, if you're going to move – if you're going to adjust the order a little bit is what I'm trying to say, adjust the lineup. I feel like Zane Denton should be a guy that moves up in the lineup and in a position to drive in more runs and then you move Blake Burke down a little bit because Zane Denton, he comes up with some clutch hits and I feel like he he's a, flies a little bit under the radar in this Tennessee lineup. Yeah, I think it's probably either Zane He leads Denton the or, teams in RBIs, by the way. Yeah, and he has from literally game one of the season. I don't think he's – maybe someone's passed him I think Dickey briefly. was ahead briefly. Okay, and yeah. Denton just – Took it back because obviously Dickey's hurt. But. Yeah, and but he had been didn't had been has been one of their clutchest hitters really the entire season. And I I think to your point, it's probably either him or Merritt that you move up. Right. And I think the thing with Denton that would keep you maybe hesitant is he's just kind of he's very streaky. And weekend to weekend, he has weekends like uh, this past weekend where he was fantastic. He was. Six to ten at the plate, two doubles, three RBIs, ton of hard contact, worked three walks. I mean, he was fantastic. He was even as good as Jared Dickey was in his first two games. Denton was Tennessee's best hitter uh, over the course of the weekend. But he has a lot of weekends, which I believe was the case at Georgia, where he's hitting 100. And it's that very variance, I think, maybe makes it hard uh, to want to submit him in to the middle of the lineup in a cleanup spot. But at the same time, I mean, Griffin Merritt's the other guy I said I think you'd put there, and it's not like he's – been even been an everyday starter so you know you don't necessarily have that consistency with anybody and we say all this I would kind of be surprised if Tennessee moves Burke uh at this point but I would say that I think that's something they should do they I it just feels like you're not getting enough production from that that slot and you know it's not to say Dickie's not capable of turning it around and giving you that or not excuse me not Dickie Burke isn't capable of turning it around and giving you that consistency and that production but it's just been too large of a sample size in big games where he hasn't done it to act like the norm is that he's going to give it to you yeah no that that's all good points all around chase burns gets the save too, the first of his career third save of the season for tennessee 
Yeah, Seth Halverson, Chase Burns, and Sewell, maybe? Maybe. I maybe Halvey got two. Maybe Halvey got two, and I know at least one of them is was a three-inning save. So it wasn't even like your prototypical, you come in the game with the free-run lead. Tennessee was just up by a ton of runs. He pitched the final three innings. If you pitched the final three innings, you automatically yeah. get a save. I'm, if I had to put money on, I'd say Halvey got two. I feel like well, we can check that. Ryan will check that while I uh, finish out this game here. But, yeah, Chase Burns gets the save. He was good out of the bullpen once again. Through 50 pitches, Tony Vitello says that's kind of the max, if you will, with Chase Burns throwing the heat he is out of the bullpen and letting him just kind of let it loose, as Tony Vitello says. But a much-needed Chase Burns outing and a much-needed Zane Denton two-run hit. Two for Halverson. Two for Halverson. There we go. That's right. So, yeah, Tennessee wraps up the series on Saturday night, going into Sunday, looking for a sweep. That doesn't happen. 10-0 to Kentucky win. As I mentioned, a two-hour rain or lightning delay happened after the fourth inning, heading into the fifth, and or maybe it was in the middle of the third, excuse me, two-hour delay. Um, just not a, not a good day for Tennessee at all. And it started off on the wrong foot, too. Drew Beam, another bad start. And we've talked we talked about last week, Drew Beam was only really bad on the road this season. Well, now his struggles have translated into Lindsey Nelson Stadium, his last start at home this season, and his, definitely his worst. Five hits given up, four earned runs, and just 1.2 innings. This is worrisome. Of, of any trend that could be worrisome for Tennessee, I think Drew Beam takes the cake because we saw last year how Drew Beam slowed down and it just wasn't working out, and Blake Tidwell kind of took on a bigger role late in the season. I'm not saying the same thing's going to happen, but Drew Beam hasn't been consistent at all, and he's been getting hit hard the last two weeks. Yes, and, you know, it's like last year he fell off so much that he wasn't even a factor. Like, he wasn't even a factor. He didn't even pitch in the Super Regionals. Yeah, Yeah. nor should he have. Right. You couldn't have have pitched him in those high leverage moments, given how poor he was the final, you know, month of the season. It's not to that point. Like, I have a hard time seeing Drew Beam not being a factor – at you know in the postseason in a regional or in a super regional at all but I do think you know it is a worrisome theme and it's like do you keep him in that starting spot and uh, it was after you know we talked about it at length the Georgia Tony Vitale gave him the benefit of the doubt really kept him in you know a little too long it was a quick hook on Sunday and and it was the right call and it was the right call dude was not gonna fix that no he wasn't and you said it it's just been a ton of hard contact and he, you know, he kind of reminds me in a lot of ways of Kyle Hendricks, and this is maybe just too niche of a, of a uh, comparison as a Cubs guy, but uh, you know, Kyle Hendricks is good enough that probably a lot of baseball fans know when he's on, and because he's not going to overpower you with his stuff, same way Drew Beam is, and when he's on and when he can place it, man, he can be as good as anybody, just about, or as effective as anybody. But when he's off and when he doesn't have that command, it can get ugly in a hurry because he's not going to overpower you with any of the stuff, and he's not going to get away whereas, with many fastballs or many pitches over the plate because his stuff's not good enough to. Whereas Chase Dolander can. Whereas Chase Dolander can. Not all the time, but, you know, he can throw 97 down the middle and get away with it from time to time. So uh, I think that's the concern. Again, it doesn't feel like a complete collapse like it was last year for him when his arm really just broke down, which made a lot of sense given how little he'd pitched the two years before with having Tommy John surgery and then the COVID year, his junior year of high school. But it's going to be interesting to see, and it's going to be interesting to see how aggressive Tennessee and Tony Vitello and Frank Anderson are with his role and taking it, uh, you know, potentially taking it away. Will he start this weekend? I would guess yes, but I wouldn't say that that's like 
A slam dunk. A slam. I wouldn't say it's a slam dunk, and even if he does start, it feels like he better be good or he won't be starting uh, when, whenever Tennessee heads to a regional. Or at least he won't be their third starter. He may be their game four or game five starter, but he's not going to be that third guy they go to. I think that's a very good point from you is when Drew Beam's good, it's it's gonna go. It's smooth sailing, man. He's just gonna roll. Yep. But when it's bad, because he doesn't have that stuff, because he doesn't have that high velocity, it's gonna get ugly quick. Yeah. And that's what happened on Sunday, and that's what happened in Georgia as well. So, you know, let's talk about this for a second because AJ Russell, man, he's continuing to deal and he's continuing to do well in SEC play. He would have pitched longer on Sunday if it wasn't for the uh, rain no. delay. Only got one point one innings in. Well, there's a lot of disappointing things about the rain yeah. delay, but that was that was one of them because it felt like. Tennessee's like, down early. Beam did not get far into the game. You need somebody to go in there and eat, you know, three innings worth of outs, which would have been his longest appearance. And it was like, all right, it's perfect. We're going to get a long look at AJ Russell here. And Mother Nature had other ideas. Well, he was good in that short amount of time. Um, Fifteen strikes on sixteen pitches. Uh, it, you know, AJ Russell's made it. I just have I've never come away from a game in which AJ Russell is pitching. Like, oh, man, AJ Russell just wasn't on today. He, every single time he's been on or he's been great. You know, it's just yeah. been solid or great. Yeah, no, that's like uh, talking to people for the story I'm writing on him. It's like, you know, he hasn't had. A, he literally has not had a bad outing. He hasn't. Yeah. And so it's like you just kind of continue. Tennessee just kind of continues to give him a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, and you're just waiting for the time, the outing when things go poorly for him, and it, it just hasn't come to this point. I think he's the guy that would start the third game over Drew Beam. Yeah, I think... They're going to make the switch. I think that would make a lot of sense. It would have to be an opener-type role, because I don't think he's stretched out long enough to even give Tennessee five innings. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's kind of what I was saying of, like, who's going to pitch Tuesday for Tennessee and Hoover? Because, you know, obviously, you're not going to pitch any of your weekend guys. That's too quick of a turnaround. I think... And, uh, yeah, it's our good. And it, it'll, in reality, it'll probably be, an, you know, there's a number of bullpen guys that it can be. It's probably going to be the guy that throws the least amount against South Carolina. But AJ Russell's like, to me, a perfect candidate of a guy that could give you, again, three or four innings, give him, all right, here's what a start looks like before the postseason. You might need him to give you one in a regional or uh, Omaha if Tennessee makes it that far. And, you know, Tony Vitello talks all the time about getting to his first out of the way for players. He doesn't AJ Russell. I think he started the Alabama A&M game, <laughs> the very but, first midweek of the season. Yeah, or second midweek because they played two of them. I think Xander started the first. Are you sure? I'm not positive. I'm just I'm giving I'm giving credit to Xander. Whatever they played two of them, two games that midweek. Xander started one, AJ started the other. Uh, but yeah, he pitched two innings. That doesn't really count as a start. Yeah, I'm Alabama not gonna look it up either. It doesn't matter. But- yes. Yeah, so, so you're right. I, I think he's would be an interesting candidate there for. Either Sunday if Drew Beam doesn't go, or maybe Tuesday uh, in Hoover. I'm just saying he's been better in Seth Alverson. He's been better, more consistent than Camden Sewell. I think Camden Sewell, you know, he's more, still more reliable, I guess. And you feel maybe a little bit more comfortable with giving Camden Sewell a start. But A.J. Russell could certainly do it based off of how he's pitched this season. But also, interesting note from Sunday, when they came back from the rain delay, Seth Alverson comes on the mound and, you know, I I went in thinking if Seth Halverson gets three innings here, that's a win for Tennessee. Well, then he goes four and a third, and he was great. Uh, ran into a little trouble late as he got up into around 75 total pitches. But really, this was a really good Seth Halverson uh, outing, and it's probably the best we've seen in quite some time. And you talk about, you know, that Tuesday starter in Hoover, or just a, another guy that can get a start for you. If Seth Halverson could do this, that's a fine start. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and he... To me, it was it was probably 
the one or one of the few good things that, you, that came for the game on Sunday for Tennessee because Halverson had struggled his last couple outings. Right. It, the, it's not like the wheels had fallen off, but it, it felt like he was starting to slip a little bit. And you said it, it was his best outing in a long time. And again, the numbers aren't going to look great in the end because he gives up three earned runs, ran into trouble in the eighth inning. But, you know, again, it's one of those things Tennessee's already down. Five runs at that point, and their offense was just abysmal with runners on base. So it didn't feel like Tennessee was hardly in the game. Uh, And he ate a ton of outs. He looked really good. He struck out six guys, uh, 44 strikes on 72 pitches. It it made you feel a lot better about what Halverson can give you kind of going into this this home stretch as Tennessee gets ready for postseason play. And he's kind of moved into the role where, you know, earlier in the season he was first out of the bullpen on Fridays. And now it feels like – They'll go to Burns first. They'll go to Sewell first. They'll try to get a collective bullpen thing going like we saw Friday night. It feels like Halverson's kind of slipping down to that Sunday bullpen role, and maybe if they can get away without throwing him at South Carolina, he could start Tuesday in Hoover. I, I would not be surprised if that ends up happening. Yeah, I mean, I think Halverson, you know, even Burns potentially, Sewell I think is kind of unlikely just because of his arm, and I don't think they want to push it too much. Um so there's a handful, Xander even, you know, there's a handful of candidates, but at, at the same time, Tennessee is going, and this is every single team's going to do this, not just Tennessee, they're going to be full in, all in on winning every game that they can at South Carolina. True. And, and then they they're going fi- to figure out Hoover after that. Yeah, which is exactly how, how should be their approach. Yes, exactly. So if, when we talk about the Tuesday starter, we can mention a lot of guys, guys that make sense. Logically, uh, Fanning, I would say, is another guy that would make sense to potentially get it. But at the end of the day, it's just going to be how did chips fall? Because they're going to be—they're not going to be thinking about oh, we got to save someone for Tuesday in Hoover in South Carolina. They're going to throw their best arms and use them as much as possible to try to get as many wins as possible in Columbia, and then wherever the chips fall, they'll figure it out Tuesday after that. But yeah, there's a lot of candidates, and, and certainly Halverson has starting experience before at Missouri. Tony was. Uh, calling this a start for him because he yeah, came might in as well after have been, the yeah. rain delay and he had kind of your warm-up into a start that you would have uh, throwing a bullpen and all that stuff before. So, uh, you know, he's he is certainly a guy that would make a lot of sense there. As Ryan mentioned earlier, Tennessee struggled with runners on base mightily. They were 3 of 18 and 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. They left 16 total runners on. It Which was is hard, hard to do. Hard to do. It was not. And it would have been 17 if they didn't hit into a double play in the ninth inning. Yeah. It was not a good day for the Tennessee offense. But they already had the series wrapped. A sweep would have been nice for Tennessee as far as hosting talks go. Just another SEC win would have been huge. And, you know, Hoover seating, it doesn't matter as much, obviously. But, you know, they they didn't get it done. And Kentucky takes one. This is a good Kentucky team, though. It's not like... You know, we both predicted that Tennessee was going to take two of three. So wasn't necessarily surprising that Kentucky got the game three win, but as dominant as it was, was a little bit surprising. First time Tennessee's been shut out since Omaha against Virginia, the first game in Omaha there in 2021. So it's been a minute. Yeah, it has been. But, yep, so that that was that series. And now Tennessee heads to South Carolina. Let's go ahead and jump in here, Ryan, as it is the final series of the 2023 season, and they are on the road against the South Carolina team. That is a struggling. They have lost three consecutive SEC series to Auburn, Kentucky, and Arkansas, having gotten swept by Kentucky, mind you, and they're losers of seven of their last eight. That includes two midweeks, one against Charlotte, one against North Florida. They're 0-2 in their past midweeks, actually. So, man, you know, of the last eight games, South Carolina's only win is a game two win in Arkansas. So the Gamecocks 
for as good as they were earlier in the season, they are declining rapidly. They are, and you know injuries is a part of that. They've got a lot of guys banged up. Uh, Mark Kingston quote uh, that Colin Taylor, who covers uh, South Carolina for Gamecock Central, tweeted out this morning. Mark Kingston, we're all day today. You, <laughs> me, we're all day today. So this is a South Carolina team that is very banged up. I think is the best way of describing it more than necessarily injured. Uh, so you don't know who all is going to be available for Tennessee, but it is, or excuse me, who all is going to be available against Tennessee this weekend. But yeah, it's a team that phew, reeling maybe a little over dramatic, but not not much. It's a team that's not playing well right now, and uh, I mean they swept Florida. They were number six in the country. They swept Florida at home. The April 20th to 22nd, so about a month ago. And at that point, it's like, man, this team is this team's really good. This team's, I mean, we already knew South Carolina's really good. But at that point, it was like, I think South Carolina, you know, they're probably just about as good as anybody in the SEC. Yeah, I think there was a Kendall Rogers tweet that said, or some, maybe a big baseball, or maybe it wasn't Kendall, but said South Carolina should be number one in the country. Yeah. After that sweep. And since then, it's all falling apart. Series yeah. lost to Auburn. You mentioned swept to Kentucky. They get a game at Arkansas last week, a couple midweek losses. Uh, it's North Florida and Charlotte mixed in there as well. But, yeah, they're struggling, and, and certainly it's a vulnerable baseball team and an opportunity for Tennessee to do something they haven't done all year, which is go on the road and, and win a series. Can they do it, Ryan? I mean, is there anything that happened in Georgia last weekend or anything in between since we've last talked that gives you any more confidence that Tennessee can actually win on the road? They have yes. two SEC wins on the road. Yeah, I'm not going to be picking it. I'm picking South Carolina to win the series, two out of three. It's you're gonna it's it's gonna have to prove it to me territory. Because I don't I don't think anything's changed. I mean we're 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 in the same place we we have been with Tennessee's performance on the road. Yes, I don't think they're Georgia. To me, the Georgia and LSU series were not nearly as bad as Arizona, which obviously wasn't a series, but a tournament, or Missouri, or Arkansas. I agree, but. Tennessee won 12 to 3 against Georgia and then couldn't do anything in the next two days. I mean, they were better, but it's still, you know, and it was Georgia. South Carolina's still better than Georgia, so. Yeah, no, 100%. And while I do think they were better, like you again had that adversity of this Georgia's starting pitcher on sure. Saturday getting injured on the second, or really the first pitch of the game, exiting after two pitches, and Tennessee did not handle that well. And obviously, that's we talked about at the time, that's more adversity for Georgia, but it's adversity for Tennessee too as you prepare for a guy, and now you know, you're preparing for another guy that's not, not sure I'd quite say seldom used, but not one of Georgia's top arms, and, and they didn't they didn't do well. And I again, we talked about it at the time, I thought uh, some of the batting wasn't as bad as the numbers looked like I thought they had some some poor luck but you're right it, it wasn't it was a prime opportunity especially after winning uh, dominantly on Friday night to take the series and they didn't do it um so you know when you couldn't do it in that spot which was a golden opportunity it's kind of like I said you're gonna have to prove it to me I'm gonna have to see it to believe it at this point no yeah you're totally right and you know, it's a Thursday through Saturday series this weekend. South, I mean, they're catching South Carolina at the perfect time, given how they're playing and how banged up they are, as you mentioned. But they are going to have to prove that they can win on the road because they have not done so at all this season. Let's talk about the implications of this weekend. As far as Hoover goes, which is the less significant of the two things, as far as regionals and Hoover, of course, Tennessee were to sweep South Carolina and Vandy were to get swept in their own house by Arkansas, which is possible because Arkansas, probably the best team in the SEC right now, based off the last month, then Tennessee would get a bye in Hoover, meaning they wouldn't have to play on Tuesday. 
all that that's very unlikely. Doubt Vandy gets swept in Nashville. Doubt Tennessee sweeps South Carolina and Columbia. But that could happen, I guess. And then as far as regionals go, Kendall Rogers has had a couple of tweets about Tennessee. If they win this series, there's a solid maybe there's a chance they could host certainly. They'd be in the discussion for sure. If they sweep, probably more likely than not they're going to host. But yeah. if they lose the series, eh, it's yeah, it's no a nada. Yeah. Yes, I I think it was on D1 Baseball's like question and answer weekly chat thing. He was asked uh, about Tennessee's hosting possibilities, and he basically said, you know, if they win, if they win a series this weekend, he didn't say like definitively they're going to host, but he said my guess is that they'll host. He said the road questions will still be an issue, but he said I think he said something that they will have enough marquee series wins uh, that mm-hmm. he thinks will will carry through and get them to host. So uh, it makes this a huge series. Uh, I think. Um, you know, if you're going to look back at Kentucky, that's kind of where it hurts. If you, if Tennessee had won the final game against Kentucky, it just felt like, yeah, if you win two out of three against South Carolina, you're right. definitely going to host. Yeah. Um, so whereas now, you know, maybe they need to win a game uh, or two in Hoover. We'll see. But they have a chance. It's a fighting chance. And certainly, given how bad Tennessee's been on the road, that's you know, it would be huge to not have to play on the road uh, the first weekend in the NCAA tournament and be able to host. <laughs> that's how they play, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's what I said uh, I, I think, I guess, after Georgia, or maybe it was before, it's like, if Tennessee wants to achieve what they want to achieve this year, they're going to have to prove it on the road. They're going to have to do it on the road. The question is just, can they prove it on the road in the regular season? Because if they don't in the regular season, they're going to have to prove it in the, in the postseason. That's when they're going to have to do it, and it's going to be a, a harder path. Yeah, I mean, if Tennessee loses the series in South Carolina, that, I'm not going to have any confidence they can make it out of regional on the road. Just because, uh, unless they get a really favorable scenario, you know. But it's just, they're going to, that's all hypothetical, though. Let's not get into the weeds too much. But yeah, Thursday through Saturday series here. Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern. Friday, the same thing. And then to round out the series, it's 2 p.m. Eastern game on Saturday. I want to ask you a question. You've been covering, uh, you know, Tennessee baseball for, what, four years now? This is year five. Year five. So year five covering a legit team in the league. So you you kind of know how SEC baseball works. You've been around the block. How much does Hoover, pl- you know, play into regionals? Because we know in basketball, in the tournament, SEC tournament, it, it does, really doesn't matter that, all that much. How much does Hoover matter as far as regional goes and, and seeding, do you think? I don't think it does a ton, um, especially if you're already in. Like, I think on the bubble, it matters a little bit. But I don't think it hardly it matters much at all for seeding, which is why I was hesitant to even say, you know, winning a game is going to go a long way to make helping Tennessee host. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I'm just saying, like, if Tennessee wins the series against South Carolina and it gets got on Tuesday and lose, and that's they, still they a net don't po- play the game. That's still a net positive. Still a net positive. Yes. As de- far definitely. As yes. I, it's, to, it's better to me for Tennessee to do what you just said, Win mm-hmm. two out of three at South Carolina and lose on Tuesday in Hoover than it would be to win one out of three at South Carolina and we'll say win two games and make it to the, whatever that would be, the semifinals, I guess, or I guess the quarterfinals, uh, at least to Friday in Hoover. If Tennessee goes two and two, uh, I guess is what that would be if you win two games and then one at South Carolina, that winning at South Carolina would be better than winning two games in Hoover. Gotcha. Okay. Fascinating. And I don't think it – and this is kind of the case in basketball too, but carrying over, like losing early in Hoover, is not. It's like 
not a bad thing at all. I mean, we saw it's it not last a nail year. in the coffin or anything. We saw it last year. Ole Miss lost their first game. They won the national championship and, and still got in. For heck, me talking about bubble teams. Yeah. And then two years ago, uh, I can't remember if Mississippi State had a double buy or not, but they made it to the double elimination portion, and then they got run ruled in both their both their games in the double elimination portion, and they went on to win the national championship. And there's countless examples of that happening of teams struggling at Hoover and then making super deep runs. Heck, Arkansas last year. They went yep. two and out and then made it to Omaha. So uh, it's a super, super fun event. The SEC baseball tournament is one of my favorite to cover, favorite events to cover in the whole athletic calendar. But when you actually look at how important it is and how meaningful and conclusions you can draw, it's really not a ton. Where does Columbia rank in terms of SEC towns to you? Is it towards the bottom or middle of the pack or is it pretty good? Uh, I would say middle of the pack when we're talking towns. You know, again, it's hard for me to – I try to not make any super de- declarative statements because, you know, I'm I'm seeing a limited parts of the town and yeah. when I'm there. It's a lot of campus. You're and not tearing up facilities. the town? Yeah, I'm not tearing up the town, exactly. <laughs> um, I will say – and granted, I haven't been to LSU. I haven't been to Mississippi. I haven't been to Mississippi State. So I haven't been to some of the best stadiums in the league. But Founders Park is – one of my favorites, if not my favorite, that I've been to. I liked it just as much as Bob Walker. Okay, yeah, that was going to be my question, yeah. how Arkansas compared. Yeah, I mean, those are – of the ones I've been to, those are like 1A, 1B, and I'd probably give Founders Park 1A. Wow, okay. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. They got the con- they got the thing where you can walk like all the way around the stadium, like around the outfield and all that stuff, which is one of my favorite things about a uh, baseball stadium. I think not many college baseball stadiums have that, so I think it's really cool. Sweet. Yeah, that's cool. Well, Ryan will be in Columbia this weekend, heading out tomorrow, I suppose. Yep. And so be sure and follow him all weekend long, as he'll have live coverage from South Carolina at rshump00. That's S-C-H-U-M-P. You can also follow Rocky Top Insider at Rocky Top Insider on all your social platforms. Check out all our work at rockytopinsider.com. You can follow me at Jack Foster Media. Ryan, I guess that's going to do it for this Wednesday morning podcast. Yeah, uh, I think that's about all I got. Yeah, we covered a lot. What, what, what are we at? Fifty minutes. There we go. It's one of our longer ones. So, and no Will Levis hate today. <laughs> no Will Levis flag. No NFL flag. I, I've run out of things to talk about. So, that's gonna do it for today. Anyway. <laughs> I appreciate it. We will see you guys next time here on the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Special Edition Baseball Podcast. May come at you with a Rocky Top Insider Press Pass like normal edition podcast. We'll see because there's been a little bit of football news. We got to take a look at what's going to shake with this basketball roster as well, but keep on the lookout for that as well. And can also take a listen to our new Pancakes and Bacon podcast every Wednesday they have been dropping at. For Ryan, I'm Jack, and we'll see you next time previewing Hoover.